possibly can be. If you can't be a part of an event somewhere, remember to pray for our nation on Thursday. Well, today we open our Bible again to Galatians chapter 5, where we pick up our reading in verse 13 in just a moment. Galatians chapter 5. Well, the news this morning is that they are free. Specialist Stephen Gonzalez, Staff Sergeant Andrew Ramirez, and Staff Sergeant Christopher Stone, our POWs held by Serbia for these days, will soon be reunited with their families. That is good news. We're happy for that. One can only imagine how thrilled they are to be leaving the place of their imprisonment. Can you imagine, however, that should they get to the airport ready to leave, and suddenly they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we change our mind. We don't want to go home. We want to stay here imprisoned in Serbia. You say, well, that would be stupid. You're right. It would be. But you see, that's exactly what the Galatians were doing with their spiritual freedom. For Jesus Christ had died to set them free. They were free in Christ. And yet they were saying to themselves now, well, we want to go back to the bondage and the yoke of the law and of rule keeping. And the Apostle Paul even calls them, in essence, moronish, stupid. They were not thinking, he says. In our text today, he points out that we Christians have a calling. You know what a calling is? A calling is something for which you're destined. A calling is that for which you were made and fashioned and formed. And in your heart you know that and you don't want to miss your calling. Paul says that we have been called to freedom in Jesus Christ. In that sense, we are like boats. Boats called to the freedom of the wind and the waves. We're like airplanes that are destined for the unconstraint of the skies. You see, boats are not made, they're not called to be at dock. Airplanes are not made to be in a hangar. They're made to be free. And you and I and Jesus Christ, likewise, are called to be free. We have been liberated by our Savior, and we dare not lose our spiritual freedom by accepting again a yoke of legalism. For we are not slaves. God has called us his sons and his heirs. We can lose our spiritual freedom by subjecting ourselves again to the concept and the notion of rule-keeping, either in order to please God or to please other people and make them think that we're spiritual. And what a tendency there is in evangelical churches, especially more conservative churches, to create standards by which we measure spirituality. And if a person does this or doesn't do that, he or she is spiritual. Paul says, don't allow yourself to be drawn into that false thinking. Don't lose your spiritual freedom to legalism. 
But at the same time, there's a balancing truth. Just as we don't want to lose our spiritual freedom, neither do we want to abuse our spiritual freedom. And that is what Paul talks about in our paragraph for today, beginning in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall, not you shall rather love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed, take care, lest you be consumed by one another. Here we have an example of, of Christian cannibalism. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What Paul is telling us in this paragraph is that spiritual freedom demands spiritual living. And I'll tell you why. It is because our freedom in Jesus Christ can be easily abused if we allow our flesh, our self, to control us. It can be easily abused. Therefore, it demands spiritual living, living in the Spirit. We are freed by grace to live not for selfish pursuits, but for Jesus Christ. To live for oneself is absolutely contrary to the life of Jesus. There is nothing that contradicts the values of Jesus' life more than living for self. For Jesus was the great model of self-sacrifice. We are freed from obligation to the law, to sin, to the standards that others try to impose upon us. We are freed from that obligation so that we can voluntarily, gladly, and freely surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. So Paul writes about this idea. He writes about spiritual freedom being exercised in the discipline and the dynamic of spiritual living. And is that, what, that is what we need to define this morning and talk about. First thing that Paul seems to say in this paragraph is that the parameters of spiritual freedom are defined by love. The parameters, the borders, the boundaries of spiritual freedom are defined by love. There are some boundaries, even in spiritual freedom. Those parameters are defined by love. Now, spiritual freedom can be like the freedoms of adulthood giving, given to a child. If a child suddenly gets all the freedom of an adult, that child will misuse or abuse or waste the privileges that he has. So Paul explains to us here how to use spiritual freedom in a mature way. For the greatest benefit of all, it requires, he will tell us, discipline. 
When we think about freedom, realize that there is no freedom that is absolute. Not even God's freedom is absolute. God, being an infinite supreme being, has infinite freedom. But his freedom is constrained by his own perfections, his own moral attributes. For example, God is free, but he is not free to fail. He is not free to lie. Framers of our Constitution were wise enough to realize that we wanted to be a free nation, but there had to be checks and balances. There had to be constitutional restraints built in so that we could enjoy our freedom. Financial freedom is not absolute either. As I hope all of us know, there have to be certain boundaries in your use of money. There has to be self-discipline because of the pressures. And likewise, personal freedom is not absolute. Your freedom to do what you want to do and, and my freedom to do what I want to do can clash. Therefore, our freedoms are limited by what might be called the common good. Now, what Paul is saying here is that spiritual freedom in Jesus Christ has a perimeter. And that perimeter is marked by love. Now that may sound suspiciously like the language used by contemporary ethicists who say that only love should determine what is right and what is wrong. Not the rules of society and not even the rules of God for sure. But only love should tell us what is right and wrong. And we hear that and we say, well, that, that sounds pretty good. The problem with it is that there's no definition of love. When they say that, each person defines love for himself. So you have your definition of love, and this person has his definition of love, and I have my definition of love, and we try to live that way, and the result is relativism, where we all do what is right in our own eyes, when there are no standards at all. When Paul says that love marks the perimeter of our freedom, he means something far different than what I've just described from our contemporary understanding of love. Because to Paul, love was defined by God himself. Love was modeled by Jesus Christ in the life of self-sacrifice. So Paul is saying that your spiritual freedom in mine has a perimeter, and that perimeter is marked by love. And then he goes on to define that perimeter in a couple of ways, a negative way and a positive way. In the negative way, he says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, that selfish programming within you that's left over from what you were before your conversion. That old imprint of the sinful you, the flesh. He says, you are free in Jesus Christ, but, but don't use that freedom as a beachhead for the sin in you to be expressed in your own selfishness. That's one way he defines the perimeter of love. 
The freedom that we have in Jesus Christ is never to be used as an opportunity to advance our own agendas, to get what we want, to be driven by our selfish goals. On the positive side, he says, by love, serve one another. He says, the love of Jesus within your heart combines it places a border around your spiritual freedom. And that love causes you to live like Jesus did, a life of self-denial, so that you will serve others. Spiritual freedom is never an excuse for me to get my way. Spiritual freedom means that I give myself to serve others. I don't do what is best for me. I do what is best for my brother or my sister. But Paul goes on to say, the whole law, the whole law can be summarized in just this one statement. And he quotes from the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus called that the greatest of the commandments. James called it the royal law, the law of love. He says if we keep that law, we will do well. The gospel that we have believed is a gospel that is apart from works. We receive it simply by faith. But listen to me. The faith that apprehends the gospel of Jesus Christ is a faith that works by love. Paul said that in verse 6. We do not become Christians by our works. We are freed from that slavery to, to do our best and to perform. But that faith that is genuine, that causes us to become the children of God, is a faith that has to work itself out, and it will. And he says it will perform within us by our love. There are those who fear that the freedom of grace will lead to lawless living. And you know, that is a danger. When it happens, it's an abuse of freedom, but it is a danger. That there are people who will take their freedom in Jesus Christ and use that as an excuse to live without any restraint. With, they have a license, they think, to do whatever they want to do. They misunderstand. They abuse spiritual freedom. That is a danger when you talk about the spiritual freedom that comes with grace. Paul says here that the law of love will regulate and discipline our freedoms through an internal code that God has written on our hearts. He says we don't any longer need this external list of commands of do's and don'ts because God has written on the inside of us, in our hearts, in the new person that we are in Jesus Christ, an internal code of conduct that lives itself out in love and self-sacrifice and service for others. So we don't have to be afraid of the idea of spiritual freedom because God balances that with love that he's placed in our hearts that will work itself out 
in sacrificing for the good of the other person, not for ourselves. Now the Galatians should have known this, but they were having a hard time with it. Paul says in verse 15 that they were in fact biting and devouring one another. And he says, take heed lest you don't eat one another up and consume one another. He's saying that they were using their spiritual freedoms as an excuse for criticizing and attacking other people. Paul says you're, you're, you're abusing your freedom. You see, that can happen to any of us. And so we have our spiritual freedom, and we're saying that it is disciplined with love. The parameter around it is love, doing what is good for others. How do you get up every morning and live through the day, hour by hour, living that way? How can we consistently carry this out without allowing our freedom in Jesus Christ to be abused? He says, walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. What does the flesh want to do? To express itself? To gratify itself? To conquer the other person, not serve him or her? That's what the flesh wants to do. But Paul says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not use... The flesh will not be able to use your freedom as an opportunity to express itself. He goes on to explain that there is within every believer a power struggle. On the one hand, he says, you've got this Jesse Ventura figure. And on the other side, you've got Hulk Hogan. And the two of them are locked in combat, arm in arm, looking for the opportunity to throw the other one down to the mat and land on him and pin him and defeat him. Except in our case, inside we've got the flesh and we've got the Holy Spirit. And the flesh is always looking for an opportunity to express itself. And we'll talk about that some more next week. The flesh is always looking for an opportunity to put down the Spirit and to motivate us to selfish living. On the other hand, the Spirit is jealous for us, and He's looking for the opportunity to put down the Spirit, or put down the flesh, rather, and to energize us to say no to the flesh. These two are in opposition. They battle. You face it, and I face it. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you will be able to say no to the flesh. The flesh will still be there with its desires. It will still have its temptations. It will still make its demands on you. But you can say no, he says, through the power of the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Now, how do we do that? Well, I've used this illustration before numerous times. In walking, you and I simply throw ourselves off balance on purpose, and we reach out to catch ourselves with our leg. And we learn as little toddlers to do that, and we find that we can walk when we throw ourselves in dependence out into the air and then stick out our leg and catch ourselves, and we move. And what he is saying here is that you and I need to throw ourselves on the Spirit 
We need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's an act of faith. Just as much as receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we choose to say, Holy Spirit, I can't do this in myself. I don't have the energy to live this way. I can't say no to the flesh consistently. And he says, throw yourself on me. Depend on me. Yield yourself to me. And I will give you energy to do that. The Holy Spirit is like the wind that fills the sails of a boat. That wind pushes it along. When you and I depend upon the Holy Spirit, he's like that. He, he pushes us along in the right direction. The Holy Spirit brings to us the law of the spirit of life. It is the law that lifts us above what the flesh wants us to do and allows us like an airplane to overcome the law of gravity, the flesh that pulls us down. The power of spiritual freedom is discovered in the Holy Spirit. Spiritual freedom demands spiritual living. If we don't live in the Spirit, we will abuse our spiritual freedom. It demands spiritual living. What does that mean? It means to choose the path of love and the power of the Holy Spirit. A young man named Bill lives across the street from a very conservative church. Bill is a college student. He's been there four years. He's bright, rather esoteric. In his senior year, he comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Bill has been a nonconformist as a college student. He wears jeans with holes in them, t-shirts, no shoes. Must be in California. And he has wild hair, kind of like your husband in the morning when he gets up. And Bill finally sees that church across the street. He, he's gone to campus four years. He's now come to faith in Christ, and he sees this church across the street. Now, in that church are wonderful people, very conservative. They love the Lord, and they are praying for an opportunity to reach people on that campus across the street. And so one day, God leads Bill to walk across the street and go to that church. And he enters in, and immediately notices he's quite different. Everybody else is dressed differently. But he goes down the center aisle, trying to find a place to sit, and every seat is filled. And he goes further and further down into the church, and of course, as he does that, more and more eyes begin to look toward the center aisle. And they see this rather wild-looking character. Well, Bill has just come to faith in Christ. He's not been in the church before, really. And so he just imagines that he's on the college campus still, and he goes right down to the, the front of the church. He can't find a, a seat in the pew anywhere, and so he sits down on the floor right in front of the pulpit. The preacher has stopped preaching. He might as well, because Bill is the center of attention. Everyone's focused on Bill. And then from the back row, this elderly man gets up distinguished looking, has a cane. He's in his 80s, the oldest deacon 
of the church. And he starts down the aisle. And as he does, all the people in the church sigh a bit of relief. They say, this is so uncomfortable, somebody's got to deal with him. Might as well be a deacon. You know, he'll tell him to get a seat or move out, but that deacon will deal with it. And so the old man comes down the center aisle, slowly, and he comes to where Bill is, sitting in the front. And he lays down his cane, and slowly he gets down and he sits beside Bill. Because he didn't want Bill to be alone. Grace is breathtaking. The liberty that we have in Jesus Christ is marvelous. And that deacon on that day lived it. In the power of the Holy Spirit, in the parameter of love, he embraced that young man who didn't conform to the unwritten rules of the church. And the pastor said, you will never remember what I have said in my sermon today, but what you have seen today, you will never forget. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, how easily we slip into a... We want them to conform. And how easy it is for some of us to slip into that and to think that because we're doing certain things that please men, we are spiritual people. I pray that you will show us today what real spiritual living is. Because the spiritual freedom that you've given us in Jesus demands spiritual living. Help us to live like Jesus did, who sacrificed himself. And as we partake of this bread in just a moment, as we hold it in our hands, Help us to examine our hearts, Lord, to see if we're really as broken as Jesus was, as finished with self-centeredness as Jesus was, living love in the power of the Holy Spirit.